0: Isaiah chapter 60, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 60. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn there this morning. Again, another reminder relating to the calendars for 2022. Uh, If you haven't picked one up yet, you can do so again in the book room. Isaiah chapter 60. We are going through what we call the texts of Messiah, and when we say Messiah, we're thinking of the title given by Handel to his oratorio, the well-known performance that many of you no doubt are familiar with, and if you're not, this is a good time to become acquainted and to listen to it. I know maybe not everyone is into classical music, but... uh, as I have encouraged you before, if you sit and you just you find a document that goes through the texts and just think of the truth that's being communicated, uh, I think you will find that your soul will be enriched and blessed. And so we're going through the various verses, the passages that are dealt with, and I trust is to our edification and encouragement. And we're in Isaiah 60 now, And we're going to read some of the verses that are given here. We will take time to read the opening 14 verses. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee, the multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebeneoth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their win- windows? Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them unto the name of the Lord thy God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish, yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Amen. May the Lord bless His Word to us today. Let's pray again. Look to the Lord for His help this morning. God, we... Thank Thee for the blessing of the Incarnation, to think that God became man to dwell among us. What is man that Thou wert mindful of Him, as we sang this morning, and the Son of Man that Thou visitest Him? Oh, how favorable Thou hast been to Thy people. They should have a Redeemer such as the Redeemer they have, even Jesus Christ, the Son of God. May our hearts be filled with gladness. May all the sorrows of life pale into almost insignificance as we comprehend the blessings that flow to us from Jesus Christ our Lord. May we be greatly comforted. Though this world be an enemy to us at times, Though our afflictions be great, yet we have these great truths that are unchangeable and this standing in Christ that is forever the position of the people of God, this indissoluble union. Bless us then this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Meet with young and old. Meet with saved and unsaved. Use thy word. Quicken. Quicken, O God. Bring life from the dead even, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In terms of emotion, anticipation is a feeling that coincides with an expected event. Depending on how we feel about that expected event, it can be positive or negative. And so we can either have a sense of joy or a sense of anxiety. Part of the work of the prophets, of course, was to build a sense of anticipation, to create a sense of anticipation, to give to the people of God an expectation of what is to come. Sometimes it was warning of coming judgment, but also it was at times giving insight of future salvation. The language of Isaiah 60 is one full of encouragement. It depicts a transformed day for believers. It is written to a people under affliction, a people going through hardship and difficulty, a people that very easily could have come to a place of despair and said to themselves that this day is so dark, there is no hope for us ever. But Isaiah 60 is is filled with encouragement. It is catering to that despondent soul that imagines that there is no hope. And it says, no, 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 there is. There is. A great day awaits for those that believe. The imagery is so positive that some put these events solely in the future. And so they transport them to a day yet to come. The eminent Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane, is such a one, and in beginning his sermon on Isaiah 60, in the opening three verses, he is recorded as saying, These words are yet to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. It has been long trodden down by the Gentiles. Its walls are desolate, its temple burnt, and the mosque of Omar raised over it in cruel mockery. And he goes on then to, to, to point to the fact that there's still this, this future day in which the details of Isaiah 60 are to come to pass. Well, if McShane is correct and others with him, I might add, then Handel had no business placing this text so early in his Messiah. Incorporating Isaiah sixty in the opening three verses fairly early on into that uh, arrangement. He sees it, therefore, as being fulfilled in the first coming, the first advent of Jesus Christ, not the second advent. And he draws our attention, then, to the opening three verses of this chapter. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light. And kings to the brightness of thy rising. And if you are paying attention through the reading, you will have noted the various gifts that are brought and how they are fulfilled, at least in part, at the very birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there has to be then some understanding that, at least in part, at least in part, this is beginning to be fulfilled by the first advent of our Lord Jesus. In contrast to verse 1 of this chapter, the prophet has declared the destruction already of their oppressors. If you go back to chapter 47 and verse 1, you can see the contrast. Go to Isaiah 47. Instead of our eyes, shine for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. In chapter 47, speaking to Babylon, it says, come down and sit in the dust. O virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. And so while their oppressors are living in this sense of invincibility, God through His prophet is declaring the time will come when they will be laid low. Come down and sit in the dust. But to His people there is coming this day, arise shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. There is another throne that will be inhabited by another king, and blessings will flow to those that believe. The dayspring of the people of God will come. Now, the key to understanding these passages, beloved, is to remember that the body that God is predominantly concerned and interested with is His people, whether Jew or Gentile. Nations serve their purpose. And they have their purpose. And the Jewish nation had the particular purpose being elevated to be those that would preserve the line to Messiah. But God speaks here not just to Jerusalem, not just to Jew, but to the remnant of His people. It's not a... General truths that every Jew could take for himself, it was only true to those that believe. That is always the case. So to the remnant, these words come as words of comfort, words of encouragement to look forward and anticipate. And Handel brings us to see then that this is this has come to pass, and the incarnation is here. these these texts that filled the heart with, with holy anticipation of the believing Jew of the past has now come to pass. So, as we look at these opening three verses of Isaiah 60, I've titled my message, The Transforming Power of Messiah's Arrival. The Transforming Power of Messiah's Arrival. And note with me, first of all, the terrible conditions of the world. The terrible conditions of the world. At the time we are told when he comes of the condition of the world, we begin with verse 2. And we do so, as one commentator put it, this verse provides an explanatory background. You can see it begins for. It's giving a context to verse 1. There's this need to arise and shine, the light has come, and so on. For, because, here's the background, here's the context. The, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness The people. There is first of all here a general darkness. Darkness shall cover the earth. This darkness is likened to that which was upon the world at the creation. Go back to Genesis chapter one, you see the kind of the, the, the correlation that has been drawn to our attention here. When in Genesis one verse two the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was over, it was over the world at that time and the darkness shall cover the earth. This will be a mark of the condition of the world at the time of Messiah's arrival. It is a time where it appears that there is no light. There is no hope. Such is the condition of the world at the time of Messiah's arrival. It will feel as dark as the days before God said, let there be light. That's so it was. You think of it. You think of 400 years of no prophet. 400 years of the silence of God, even in that place that had been so highly favored to have the oracles of God, as Paul puts it, even in that place, even there, there was this sense of distance, this this encroaching darkness that had come upon Israel. So the entire world was in even worse condition than them. And so it feels at this time that darkness has covered the earth. This is not a time like Solomon's reign, when it seems like the light of Solomon's reign is spreading. It is influencing kings. It's influencing kingdoms and other kings we can mention where surrounding areas are being impacted by the communication of light and truth during their reign. That is not the day into which Messiah comes. He comes into a time when darkness covers the earth. There are still places, beloved, still, don't, don't forget this, there are still places where this darkness prevails. There are places today as we sit here in Greenville and there might be 200 plus churches within a 20 mile drive of here where you could go and hear something, something correlating with the truth. There are other places in the world where it is not to be found it still sits under darkness. Places that have never had a Bible. Places never exposed to the gospel. Places that have never heard the truth. They live their lives in fear of false deities. They worship gods of their own hands. Their their children are raised, having never heard of the cross of Jesus Christ, perpetuating to the following generations the same ignorance. I read this text and I thought to myself, who will go? Who will go? Is that not what this prophet was confronted with? Isaiah? Was he not challenged? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And laid low in humility, Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Ah, Because he was in a day of darkness. He also ministered in a time where the place that possessed most truth had hidden it. And there was little exposure to the truth, even in his day. And he wanted to be a light. He wanted to communicate that truth amidst the darkness of his day. And I asked the question, who will go? And you don't have to go far, you know. You don't really have to go that far. There are places in North America, there are cities, there are towns, there are regions in Canada, in the United States, in Mexico, that still are in great darkness. A general darkness, and it's been there for millennia. And no one's gone. No one, has, no one has communicated the gospel. Other places that have fallen into a, a period a time, an era of darkness, perhaps having been blessed in the past. But darkness prevails today. Darkness covers the earth. Darkness covers the earth. And how then can we sit content that darkness should prevail over parts of the earth and not be moved? I say it as God is my witness. If I could multiply myself however many times I would I would give myself to the same work and I would go wherever, wherever the Lord would send. Amen. Beloved, I, I'll tell you that this, this is, we should not, I know not everyone can go. I, I get it. But, but do, you, do, you never, do you never feel the challenge? Have you ever wrestled with it? You ever, you ever wondered, well, what can I do to, to in some way help with the condition of darkness that covers the earth? Who will go? <clears throat> uh, even, even, just, even just to the darkness of Haywood Mall. <laughs> and shine a little light amidst the darkness of the ignorance that even prevails in Greenville. There's not only a general darkness, there's also a spiritual darkness here. The darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. I was reading this, you know, and doing my due diligence and study, and looking at the Hebrew words here, and I was fascinated, fascinated with the underlying Hebrew word for gross darkness. It is a certain type of darkness, and if I was to break it up here, if you look at the various texts that use this Hebrew word, I might say first, in trying to understand this word, it is a spiritual darkness that signified the hiddenness of God in the Old Covenant. It is a spiritual darkness that signified the hiddenness of God in the Old Covenant. Covenant. It is first used at Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, where you find the Hebrew word here. In Exodus 20, verse 21, the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near onto the thick darkness where God was. There are other verses that follow, again intimating the same time and periods used in Deuteronomy, reflecting back on this event. It's also used then in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 during the time of Solomon where it says then said Solomon the Lord hath said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. God is referred to in relation to this in the Psalms as well. For example Psalm 18 verse 1 He bowed the heavens also and came down. The darkness, same word, was under his feet. You have it in Jeremiah 13 verse 16 Give glory to the Lord your God before He caused darkness, and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while ye look for light, He turn it into the shadow of death, and make it gross darkness. There it is. That's the same word. So He's calling them to repent. He's calling, Jeremiah is calling the people, repent before God brings a darkness, and your feet stumble, and while you look for light, He turns it into the shadow of death, and makes it gross. In other words, Repent before God hides himself. And you can't can't find the light then when God hides himself. So I say that the word here used for gross darkness points to a spiritual darkness that signified the hiddenness of God in the old covenant. But secondly, it is a spiritual darkness from which is removed, or which is removed, by the arrival of Christ in the New Covenant. It is a spiritual darkness which is removed by the arrival of Christ in the New Covenant. Turn to Ezekiel 34. Keep your finger in Isaiah 60. Ezekiel 34, the opening verses of Ezekiel 34 Is God's reproof to the shepherds of Israel, the men who were given spiritual oversight. And Ezekiel is told, verse 2, to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? So he goes on then to, to pronounce this judgment upon the spiritual leadership over Israel at the time. And he continues on, making mention of the judgment that is coming upon them. He calls them, verse 9, to hear the words of the Lord. And this is read from verse 10. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, and that they may not be meat for them. So this is abuse. Abuse of the people of God. And so coming into verse 11, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and there is dark day. The gross darkness. And here you see again how the Lord is saying that I am going to come in a time and I am going to reverse this. My people are scattered. They are abused by false shepherds. And you you find our Lord, uh, again, make sure you see the connection when you are reading John 9. And the blind man, the man blind from birth, and Jesus comes by and gives him his sight, and you read the whole narrative of John 9, and it goes straight into chapter 10 where he calls himself the good shepherd. And you're not meant to miss the point that John is making in relating all of that, because what he is saying is, here is a man, here is a man who receives his sight by the hand of Messiah, and because he won't back down, he is excommunicated, He is driven out, and the false shepherds are exposed. And Christ then assumes this position reflected in Ezekiel 34, I am the good shepherd. I am the one that's come to seek after the sheep. And Christ comes then to remove, to dispel this this hiddenness of God. He comes to reveal to men, to bring to men the light. And this is what then Isaiah is referring to the day in which Christ comes, gross darkness is over the people. They don't don't know who God is. They don't see God. They don't understand God. They don't know God. And He is going to come and reverse all of that, change the circumstances of that to those who believe. So, even for those who had an inkling of light, when Messiah arrived, there's still a general darkness they were under. There were few, you remember the Pharisees, what Jesus said, They were blind leaders of the blind. They, they're, they're, they're people who are under gross darkness, under this, this God is hidden from them. There's no light, there's no path to light, and they, instead of leading them to truth, they, they continue, because they themselves are under this, this darkness. But Christ comes. This is the point All of this gets reversed by the arrival of Jesus Christ. So, we've seen then the terrible conditions of the world. Note with me. Secondly, the great consequences for believers. The great consequences for believers. Because verse 2 continues, But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee. Christ arises among His people in a fashion that it can be seen even upon His people. So we go back to verse 1, which the end part of verse 2 and verse 1 are closely tied together. And we want to note two things here. First, the privileges to the people of God. There are privileges here to the people of God. Look what it says. Thy light is come. Thy light is come. You're sitting here this morning, and you're kind of, you know, going through the motions of worship, and you're, you know, you've been doing, your, you've, you've we've prayed and we have sang, and, and now you're hearing the Word, and, and you're, you're hearing, thy light is come. And I'm wondering, do you feel the power of those words? Thy light is come. Thy light is come. You can't begin to understand the significance of what is there until you feel or have experienced something of the darkness. When you have spent years in darkness, when you have longed perhaps even in your soul, there's been something of discontentment within your heart. Or maybe you found yourself so attracted to the darkness because that's part of the problem. We'll deal with that tonight, God willing. But thy light has come. Thy light has come. Amidst the darkness of the world, mentioned in verse 2, darkness covering the earth, thy light is come. And just as God said, let there be light to, to dispel that darkness at the first dawn of creation, so He does here. He commands a time when the light is to come. It changes everything. It changes everything. And while that light in Genesis 1 may have been an impersonal light, this light is not. Go to look two. turn to look two. You remember what Simeon said? We'll go through a few verses here just to see the significance of Christ's arrival and our light having come now. Look chapter two. The Lord Jesus as a child is brought into the temple. We're told in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. There's that anticipation. Here's a man reading Isaiah 60 and praying, oh, that the light would come. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Yes, Darkness covers the earth and gross darkness the people. But here he is, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This is what he was looking for. His whole life revolved around this. He came in every day into the temple to worship God and and to ponder and meditate in holy anticipation of the day when thy light has come. His whole life revolved around this. Get that. His whole life revolves around awaiting when the light will come. And here it is. And now he's ready to go. (laughs) He's a weary old man. And he thinks to himself, I'm ready. I'm ready. Of course Jacob had that too, didn't he? Jacob, there was a point where he was ready to go. The Lord made him live for many decades after that. I don't know how long Simeon lived after this. I don't know. But he had this, this sense of, that one of the purposes of his life was to see that light come. To see that light come. And now he sees it. He sees it. Oh, what gladness it brought to his heart. What gladness to his soul. Christian, do you feel it? Do you feel the gladness in your heart that thy light has come? Thy light, not a light, thy light. Your light. Light that makes all the difference in your life. Sat in darkness, you have no hope whatsoever. John picks up on this. Go to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Move along in the Gospels to John chapter 1. John 1, verse 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through Him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Oh, do you see it? John's, John's bringing us back to this. This, this is the, the whole anticipation. The light has come. Thy light has come. And it's so significant, God's going to say, I'm going to send someone, and his whole job will be, the light has come. He's going to point to it. He's going to tell everyone in case they miss it. In case they, perhaps Messiah would be born and get to his point of ministry and, and people just aren't aware of the significance of what's going on. The Lord's going to raise up one, the greatest born of woman, John the Baptist. He's going to point. He's not that light, but he's pointing to it because of the significance. They'll miss it. And we sit, we sit Darkness covers the earth and gross darkness the people and we, we grope around and sometimes we're, we're like, as I've described it on other occasions, we're like roaches. The light's right there and we scuttle into the shadows. But child of God, thy light has come. Thy light has come. And you can sit here at times and think to yourself that the biggest thing in your life is X, Y, or Z, Whatever it is. It's these big issues and big problems And big, big trials. Oh, they're all there. I'm I'm not making them insignificant. I want you just to see them with the contrast. That thy light has come. And if thy light has come, then let's use the word in another way that Paul uses it. Your light afflictions. Your light afflictions. Which are for a moment... You can only understand, Paul, if you realize the greatness of the light having dawned, and that that light is your light. It has come to you. It's come for you. It's come to make all the difference in your condition. It's come to deal with your sin. It's come to deal with the darkness within the soul, not just the darkness generally in the world. Oh, because we can lament that, can't we? We can lament that. Oh, look at the darkness in the world, and there's, there's need to lament that. But oh, the darkness in our own hearts. Ah, do you, do you feel that? Do you feel that? This was the problems with the Pharisees and many of the others during the time of Jesus Christ. They, he was in the world. The world that he made. Oh, that's the amazing thing, John recording this, <laughs> John 1.10. He was in the world. Yes, that world that he made. And that world that he made knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yes, just, just like that first creation. Just like that first creation, here's a world. There's no light. There's no light. How do you bring light into a world that has no light? If I could put you in the position of Genesis 1 verse 1 and Genesis 1 verse 2, put you there and say, here, here, Here's a million years to bring light into this. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. It takes an act of God. It takes an act of God. So it is spiritually. So it is spiritually. And people imagine that they, they contribute something to their salvation? No. No. You have you, a much chance. Bringing light into Genesis between Genesis one and Genesis, Genesis one verse one and verse two. If you could be, you think you have much power to say, "Let there be light," and just just bring light into nothingness. You have much hope doing that, as you do, bringing light into your own soul. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And so thy light has come. Oh, how we need this! How oh, we need it! And he has come. So these are the privileges to the people of God. My light has come. What a privileged people we are. How privileged. My light has come. Don't be in the doldrums. Don't be sad. Yes, I see that, that, that pressing issue, that problem, those concerns. All of the family and the financial and the health and the, all the things. They're all there hanging over your heads. And they, 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 they love attention. They love to draw attention to themselves, don't they? All those issues, love to draw attention, love to say, yes, yes. (laughs) Look at me, I'm the big deal in your life. I want to suck all your energy and make you think that I'm the be-all and end-all. And Christ comes this morning and says to you, child of God, no, no, they're light afflictions. They're, They're not really that much, because thy light has come. Thy light has come. Thy light has come. Now us, thou thy servant depart in peace. Let me go. Thy light has come. My light. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. <sighs> but, going back to Isaiah 60, not only privileges here, but responsibilities. They're responsibilities for the people of God. Arise, shine, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Arise, shine. Yes, the light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Or again, the end of verse 2, His glory shall be seen upon thee. Arise, shine. So you are meant to shine. This light of Christ that has come into the world is to be seen upon His people. He just has he a has short little window where he is going to work the works of him that sent him while it is day. So he's going to lay down his life, the just for the unjust. And he's going to rise again from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father. And because he goes there, he sends a comforter and he prepares a place for his people. And He ever lives to pray for us. But, But that light isn't to go away with his ascension. That light is to stay. So this is a call to, to the remnant. The remnant, the remnant, the remnant that have been oppressed by the Chaldeans, the remnant that feel like everything's lost and there's nothing that can be done and despair fills their hearts and all the concerns of life grip them. And The Lord is saying, no, 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 arise, shine. There's a day, there's a day you will rise and shine when your light has come and you will stand up you will show that light. You remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You remember what he said? "Ye are the light of the world. Now, you remember John? John had dealt with that. John dealt with that too. He didn't turn to it. But in John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But as I say, he, he, he ascends. He is no longer physically... As he was in his ministry here with us. But in Matthew 5, he says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, are you mine? are you mine? Then that light, the light that has come, needs to be seen in you. It must. It's not negotiable. It must be seen in you. So Paul would exhort the Ephesians when he gets to the bread and butter of Christian living, and he is... Laying out what the Christian life looks like. And he's dealing with everything. Stealing, lying, bitterness and strife and unforgiveness among the people of God. He's dealing with all these things. And he says in Ephesians 5 verse 8, You were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Feel the imperative. Feel the imperative, the command. Walk as children of light. Because that's what Isaiah is saying. Arise, shine, thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. Walk as children of light. So I ask you, I ask you, is this calling you to blend in or stand out? What's 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 it's calling? What's it saying? So I have, thy light has come, thy light has come, and it's come into my heart, right? So here I am, and I have asked Christ to save me. I've turned from my sin. I, have, I believe in him. Thy light has come, and it's come in here, into my bosom. Is it to stay there? Is that it? Is it a light that you just bask in? You know, your little candle, <laughs> and you, you, you have this little light for yourself. That's how how many Christians live, isn't it? It is. You're tempted to live that way. You have that little candle there. You have the light of the gospel and every morning you're thankful you're saved and your sins are forgiven. But thy light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. Therefore, arise, shine, shine. Who benefits from the light on when no one's in the room? this is why we all you know say to our kids, "Turn the light off, you know they'll leave it on. What's the point in the light being on wasting electricity when no one's in the room? What's the point? we, we get that. we get that there's no point to that. Why would the light be on when no one is there? And that's how some Christians live their lives. They have a, the light they're in a room. <laughs> and I don't maybe even they don't I don't know. Maybe they don't go into the room. I'm not sure. (laughs) The light's on, at least they think it is. The Lord's saying that's not the way it's meant to be. No. No, arise, shine. Shine. Let the world see it. Don't blend in. Stand out. Again, not by being strange and weird and, you know. But, but, but you're to communicate this light. I mean, we'll get to the communication of that in just a moment. But there is that communication. So Christian, Christian, you're to rise, shine. These are your marching orders this morning. Right? First two words of Isaiah 60. Your marching orders by the God of heaven. Arise, shine. Arise, shine. I haven't given them. He has given them. Has Messiah come? Has thy light come? Then, arise, shine. Arise, shine. So you go into this week, so Lord, help me, help me. Help me to arise and shine. I mean, if, <laughs> if the incarnation doesn't motivate you to want to obey this commandment, what will? What <laughs> will? lost cause. Oh, I know. I know many of you. You you arise and you shine. You do, you do. But 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 polish it. You know, ramp up the wattage. You know, shine brighter, shine more brightly. Yes, and it's not about it's not about you. He was not that light. You're not that light. But you point to it. You're telling the world about it. Which brings us to our third and final point. The increased conversion of non-Jews. The increased conversion of non-Jews. Verse 3, And, that says, Glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. This is speaking of the corporate body of the people. Again, go back to verse 14, where we read, where we ended. They shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. That's who he's directing this to. These are the people of God. And it's not some geographical location. It's wherever his people are found. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. So there is here two things, the conversion of nations in general, and the the conversion of leaders specifically. Nations in general and leaders specifically. With Christ's arrival comes the dawn of a mission that will go across all nations. Now you know that, don't you? You know that. That's the heart of the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. Will come to thy light. It has been said and applied to various individuals as to who originally said it. Uh, Preach the gospel at all times and, if necessary, use words. And I I, I get the sentiment. The sentiment is. that something of the truth should be seen in your life. But as others before me have taken issue with that statement, so I do as well. Your life, Christian, is not the gospel. Put it this way. Your life lived right. Your life has a confirming power not a converting power. Your light shines but the mere activity of your life cannot convert. It can't. Romans 10 makes this clear that the Lord sends forth preachers. And faith comes not by watching, but by hearing the Word of God. So, being the sincere Christians that you are, you, you want to live in obedience to Christ. And I say to you, if Gentiles will come to your light... It will be as you speak the light, not just live it. You have to speak it. You have to speak the light. You have to speak. Now, the Gentiles are coming to the light. What are they coming to? Coming to your life? Is that it? We, we, we live godly lives and they come, they come to us. You know that's not the case. You're not their Savior. You can never be. This church isn't. No organization can be the Savior. It is Christ a it necessity it's therefore the preaching of Christ the speaking of Christ the communication with words again as Cornelius was told to fetch Peter who will tell thee words whereby thou mayst be saved he will tell thee words peter will come to your house not so you can see a life exhibited before you, but so you can hear what he has to say. Because if you watch Peter long enough, you're going to find a contradiction. If you watch him long enough, you're going to see him feeling the temptation to sit with the, with the Judaizers that come from Jerusalem. Whereas before he was fine sitting and eating with Gentiles, but what with a certain presence of Jews, as, as Paul mentions in Gal- Galatians 2, if he's drawn away, and you, you see an inconsistency there in Peter's life. Watch him long enough. And the light isn't so bright that comes from his life. You know, the Christians, the Christian is, if the sun is the ray, radiant light of Christ, and the moon is that reflected light of his people, then as the moon. Often we are, all the time, regularly, we are as the moon, and it is covered by by this world. Isn't it? Isn't it the, the shadow of the world that hits goes across the face of the moon? And so it's it's darkened by this world, so it is for us. We're not perfect. There's elements of this old world that still still clings to you and me. And as much as we fight it, it's still there. We still still have the remnants of, of Adam, and the old nature is still there. So to see a consistent light, we don't... The moon has its place. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's point to the sun. Let's point to Christ. The moon gives a measure of light. Sometimes it's shadowed, obviously, with the world. But the real source of the light is the sun itself. And we have to speak it. We have to point to it. We have to communicate it. So, Christian, when it says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, the sense is, Arise, shine, shine and tell that the light has come. Tell the world the light has come. Go in there and say to people, the light has come. And it can be your light if you'll only believe. And he can wash away your sins and take away the darkness of the soul and all your innermost desires, all the longings of your heart, which you think are about this life and fame and and money and And relationships and stuff of all, these are just voids that that truly what you need is Christ. And you point to the light, and you bear witness to the light like John. Behold the Lamb, friends, behold the Lamb. Thy light has come. Look and live. Look and live. So, arise, shine. Arise, Speak, speak, shine. Shine with your words, not just your life, with your words. Thy light has come, and the world needs to hear about it. And look, Gentiles shall come to thy light. Other nations come, well, you're, you're part, you're that, you're evidence of that. Someone came into your life, father, mother, someone else, someone came into your life, and they didn't just live the Christian life, They spoke it. They spoke Christ to you. And God worked in your heart. And you were saved. You were brought from nature's darkness into the glorious light of the gospel by them speaking truth to you. And kings, not all kings, just like not all Gentiles. Not all Gentiles are going to come to this light. He came unto his own and his own received him not and other Gentiles were just the same. They didn't come to the light. And so it is with kings. Not all kings will come but but kings will come should the queen of Sheba come to Solomon and Christ himself and his reign not see something similar or even more extensive. So let's pray for our kings and those that are in authority. Let's pray that these kings will come to the brightness, the brightness of the church. That's used to, they used to, didn't they? They used to. In this this country, they, they used to fear the church, didn't they? Some still do a little bit. But some of these kings, some of these rulers used to fear the church. And if they lived in some scandalous way, they knew they would lose the vote of the church instantly. They knew it. They feared the church. They don't fear the church anymore. Because we've amalgamated almost into the world. But I pray for revival. I pray that more will come to the light that is preached by the church and kings to the brightness of a rising. Yes. Yes, Lord, do it. So, may the Lord help us. May He enable us. May we hear our marching orders. Arise, shine, for thy light has come. Let's pray. are in great need, beloved, just to take Christ at His Word. Those apostles and first century Christians weren't mighty or extraordinary. They, they were simple people. They were ordinary people, let's say, preaching this simple message, and thousands were converted. And if thousands are to be converted again, it will be by us opening our mouths and pointing to Christ. Lord, help us. Help us, I pray. Our light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon us. We have Him whom our souls love. He is ours. Help us to speak of Him. Help us to arise, shine. Oh, may Gentiles more and more come. Hey, Lord, may May the Jew come. May they all come to the brightness of thy rising. And Yea, may even kings and leaders come and bow the knee and kiss the sun, lest he be angry and they perish in the way. Bless us then. Thank you, Lord, for this word of encouragement. May this little body here shine in life and in word. We pray in Jesus' name.